Uh, Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you for today. Thank you that you're with us today. Lord, our prayer is that you uh, would open our hearts, that you would speak to us, and that, Father, that it wouldn't be words that we just hear, but it would be something that we could uh, apply to our lives. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off with a scripture, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, says this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we are here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Bible Belt. That's a scripture that probably it's not the first time that you're hearing it when I'm reading it today. Uh, we understand uh, in our hearts that, that to be believers, to be Christians, is to be light in the world. That, that it's part of our calling, that we are called to light the world. So we, I feel like we understand that from a, a theological and uh, perspective. We understand it. But also, uh, for any of us who have been in the church any amount of time, uh, we also can, that, the desire to be light in the world can be filtered through our, uh, I guess, our uh, comfort with being in the church. You know, we can become so churchified that when we try and be light in the world, uh, if we're honest, I think we'd admit that sometimes we're a little bit weird. Uh, or if, if not weird, at least uh, sharing your faith can be something that uh, at the least is awkward. Um, I remember Krista mentioned, you know, we've, we've ran an internship program for several years uh, here in Tulsa. And there was, we had a certain intern class and we had this girl that came through. And she had actually, uh, she had moved here several years before when she was, she left Katrina. Uh, She had to move because of that and ended up in Tulsa and had no kind of religious or church background and uh, a little bit of a rougher life. And anyway, she shared this story with us later on. She said, you know, when I first moved here to Tulsa, I was at uh, the Walmart. I was at Walmart on 81st and Lewis and it was night. It was like midnight and she was walking out of the store, walking back to her car, and she just felt like someone was like people were following her, you know. So she'd walk a little bit faster and feel like these people were still following her. And so she's, you know, trying to just get in her car quickly. And she's like, when she gets to the car, they're still coming and they're there. And she's like thinking she's about to be mugged or something. And uh, she turns around and like, hey, what do you need? And they say, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? And she's just like, well, I don't know, but we're going to find out, you know. <laughs> it's uh uh, you, that, that, that's a funny story because we've probably all heard that phrase, that kind of a thinking, like, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And it almost even sounds somewhat normal in church culture uh, or Christian culture. And yet you could see, like, when you're on the outside of that, you know, she's not thinking that's an, an attempt to let her know who God is. She's <laughs> thinking she's on the other end of a threat of some kind. Uh, but, but it's a, a funny illustration that I think for us as a, as a missions organization who's taken teams, you know, all over the world, worked in uh, 20, 25 nations or so, taking teams, for us, it's something that we want to make sure that when we go and we're sharing the gospel, when we're preaching Christ, that you're overcoming some of the inherent obstacles that are there. You know, there's cultural gaps, there's language gaps. 
Uh, and not only that, but there is when you're having a team of 25 or 50 or something, you know, you've got a big group, you want to make sure everyone can be involved in the process. And so several years after starting uh, our, our missions work, we began to challenge some of the models that we kind of had just learned uh, early on uh, and kind of saying, well, why do we do it that way? Or that's a little bit weird and, and kind of began to change and challenge some things that um, to develop new ways of sharing that were relevant, that were not religious, that involved the entire team. And, uh, and, and really, I'm going to share some of those things to you today, not so that you can go replicate these um, and take your own teams everywhere. But what I've found is that as we develop these different campaigns and these different outreaches, what, we, what ended up happening is we kind of stumbled across some truths. We stumbled across some principles that I think are applicable to all of us, that we can apply in our everyday life of being light in our own world. Because uh, one thing that we have found, and any of you who've traveled around the world would, would uh, agree with, I'm sure, people are people. You know, whatever language, whatever culture, at the, at the heart of it, people want the same things. They want a good life. They want their kids to be well taken care of. They desire peace and joy. And, and so these truths kind of transcend um, culture. And, and my prayer today, and that's what we're going to look at, is some principles that we can apply in our own lives. Because I believe this. I believe we all have coworkers. We all have friends, family, people that we would like to see uh, God be more, uh, a, more of a part of their life than maybe what it is. And so that's what we're going to look at today as we look at some of the things that we've developed. Um, you know, the, the first trip where we really began to realize we've got to change something. We can't just do like what we've been doing. Uh, we used to do this intern-only uh, trip every year called the mystery trip. And basically, mystery trip was kind of what it sounds like. It was a, there's several people that I see in here that have participated on a mystery trip with us, and they could attest that basically it was pack your bags, and you have no idea what country you're going to. Uh, they would raise money and they'd do, do all the planning and preparation, but they had no idea what country they'd be going to sleep in that night. Um, we'd tell them what temperature to pack for, and that was about it. And then it was a multi-nation trip, and they'd be led by a series of clues and challenges. So it was kind of like Amazing Race meets Missions. And so, of course, it was fun, but from our perspective, it was to give uh, young people the ability to see multiple cultures and see how God's at work in, in the midst of all of those. And so this particular trip, we were going to London, Paris, and Rome. And uh, we just knew that we could not do the normal thing that we'd done in, say, like the jungles of Panama or something, where you're doing uh, short little skits or dramas or something like that. In some places, that works. We knew that if we did that on the streets of Paris, all that was going to happen is we were going to be laughed at. Uh, and so we said, okay, we need to do something different. What can we do? And we developed something called the Dream Campaign. And we've done the Dream Campaign all over the world now. And here's some pictures of it up here. Pretty simple concept, but the, but the concept was this. You can see in their uh, native language, there's these signs that say, my dream is. And then there's a blank line. And what we do is we, we kind of set it up as an art campaign. So we'll be out on the streets or we'll be in a plaza and instead of asking the, the ominous question of, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? Uh, we simply ask a question of, hey, what's your dream? Uh, we're out here. We're doing an art campaign today. Would you like to be part of our campaign? We're asking the question of, what is your dream? And what we find is that when we ask that question, it's amazing how quickly um, 
you, people open up to you, how quickly uh, you can have a deep conversation with a stranger on the street because you're just having a conversation. Uh, their walls are down. They've been vulnerable. If they're sharing something, if they're sharing their dream, it's something that's pretty close to their heart. And so we've had incredible op- uh, opportunities to have just great conversations with using that campaign. And basically what it is, is once they write down what their dream is, we take pictures just like this and we say, hey, uh, we're going to take your picture. We're going to post it online tonight. Check it out at dreamcampaign.com. You can send your friends there or whatever. And it, it's interesting because there's a very viral effect of that. You know, we've, we'll be at a park and there's 100 people. But then because we can track our analytics online, we'll see later that within three, four days, it's been a reach of 10,000 people locally that have gone and looked and seen. And, and, and so what does the dream necessarily have to do with, with sharing our faith? Uh, these pieces of paper, they get to take it with them. We say, hey, keep that in front of you. Hold on to it. And as they're in line waiting for their camera, their picture to be taken and everything, we begin to have conversations that reflect what the back of that says. There's an article on, on purpose and how God is the author of our lives and how he has a plan for all of us and, uh, and that he's created us to be dreamers. And so uh, it's been great to see the effectiveness of that, the conversations, the prayers that have taken place on the streets. And, uh, you know, it's... It, Almost every time we do it, um, two weeks after, three weeks after, we'll get an email from someone that's just like, man, I can't stop thinking about uh, what you said. You know, I've been thinking just about my life. And so it's this, it's been very effective. But what we have learned from that, that I think all of us can take with us, is that we need to seek to create a dialogue, not just a monologue. For the people in our lives that we'd like to make a, a, a move closer to God, I think sometimes we're guilty of being the only ones who want to speak. We want to tell them everything we know. We want to be the, the only ones with truth. And even if we possess truth, that doesn't mean we're not being rude. It doesn't mean that we're um, maybe not showing love by not listening. I think one of the most practical ways we can show people around us that we love them, that we care about them, is that we stop talking for a minute and actually listen to what they have to say. We've found that the average person on the street, they're willing to talk. You know, they just don't want to be talked at. They want to talk. They want to have a conversation. And, um, you know, that's really something that we've found that's been so effective. We had this one campaign we, we were out last year. We had several of our team members, several of the girls that talked to this man. He was from Pakistan. He was in Ecuador for business. And he was a Muslim man, and they had a long conversation uh, after one of our campaigns. And they talked and talked to him, and afterwards they came in and said, that, wow, that was so amazing. They said, we just had the best conversation with this guy. And he's, he told them, he said, and this is his words, not mine, he said, uh, most Christians, when I speak to them, they only want to talk to me. But you listen to me, so now I want to hear from you. Please tell me what you're doing. What is this about? And, you know, I just think that's uh, something we need to be mindful of for the people that are in our lives is what is it that they're saying? What is it that we can learn from them? And how can we do the very basic thing of just respecting and showing that we want to also hear and not just be the ones that are speaking? Uh, the, The year after this London, Paris, Rome trip that we did, we took the mystery trip again, and we were in Thailand and Cambodia. And Thailand, Cambodia, we were, we were in Thailand. And again, this is just some of our leaders that are on this trip. We had everything planned. We had a, a ministry schedule set to be in schools and orphanages and things of this nature. 
But you know, Thailand, it can be a, a fairly overwhelming. You know, it's a, a, a Buddhist population. We were in Bangkok, which Bangkok, they say, is the sex trafficking capital of the world. You know, tourists come there from all over the world. And, you know, it, it's one thing to know that, but it's another to kind of just be in the middle of it, you know, and you start hearing these uh, these stats like, yeah, there's 10,000 sex workers in a, in a square mile. And you almost feel a little bit like, what can we even do? You know, there's 30 of us who were here for five days. How can we make a difference? It's a little bit like if you let it get in your head, you might just pack up and go home, you know. But we were there and we just began to say like, man, let's do something. You know, I don't know exactly what to do. I don't know how we can do it, but let's, what could we do? And we started talking on our team and we basically said, you know what? There are guys that travel all over the world to come here to abuse these girls. They they pay for them. They rent them for the night to abuse them. So what if we paid for their freedom for a night to give them a night of refuge? a night where they, didn't, they weren't being taken advantage of, a night where they could have peace, a night where they could have joy, where they knew that they would be safe. And we said, let's just give them a night of refuge. And we began to, that began, uh, that was the first uh, event that we did of this kind. We've now done it in Thailand, Cambodia, Ecuador. And the concept was simply that, let's go. And so that night, we didn't know, you know, how do you do that? Like, what's the right way to go about that, you know? Uh, just, you know, and, and it is, it's a little bit messy, you know, there's not a, a cookie cutter, you know, manual of how do you do that? So we gathered, we didn't even have a budget. It was like the team was just pulling out their spending money and we came up with enough money to pay for 31 girls to attend this event. We rented out the hotel banquet room. Uh, we catered it and we played games. I mean, you know, all of our girls just kind of, uh, were there hanging out with them that night and the guys were there to serve. Every girl that came got a rose, and the guys were serving them dinner, and we just wanted them to feel special. We wanted them to feel valued and honored. And so we did that event that night, and at the end of the event, we were able to share the gospel, and 17 of the 31 girls gave their hearts to Christ that night, which, you know, was amazing. Um, But one of the coolest stories uh, that came out of that night is there was a girl there, she was 16 years old, and we, you know, for this event, we partnered with a local restoration home that can kind of transition girls out of this lifestyle. They train them with a new skill set. They let their kids be raised there while they're getting on their feet. But, and so they were with us that night so that we could introduce the girls that were there into a, a, a resource beyond just us that night. And there was this girl we found out, she was 16, and Turns out that uh, it was her first night working, and we were her first client. She came that night. She met the restoration. She gave her heart to Christ. She met this restoration home, and she went home with them that night. So we may not have been able to, to change the world that night, but her world was changed that night. And, and what we've learned from events like Night of Refuge is that it's the darkness that needs the light. It's where it's darkest that the light needs to shine. You know, it's, I mentioned earlier about we all have friends or family or coworkers, which is true. But what about those that live in darkness that don't have a friend or a family or a coworker that lives in light? How does the light come to them? It's only if the light goes to the darkness. I believe that there are things that are inside of uh, our hearts this morning. There might be ideas. There might be things we've thought of before. Maybe there's a certain people or, you know, whatever that looks like. 
what I do know, and, and yes, it can be going on missions and going overseas, et cetera, but it's also here in our city. There's dark places in our city. You know, I believe that God has called us to be light in the darkness here. And so I don't know what that is for each of us. It's probably something different. But we definitely do have a model that we can look to. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we can kind of see the model that Christ has set. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 says this. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so you see there that we have a model of getting out of our own world. You know, uh, Jesus left somewhere that uh, was nicer <laughs> than he didn't have to come and, and do what he did to enter our world, to enter our lives. Uh, and yet we are very grateful that he did. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times that we've gone through rough times in ministry or times where it's like financially hard or where it just is, it just seems like a challenge and that we always go back to that. And we think, man, if we were people that were living in darkness, wouldn't we hope that there would be a price that somebody would pay to bring us light, you know? And, and I think it's not always easy, but I do believe that as believers, that's something that we're called to do. We are called to be light in the world. And it's not just about us being comfortable in our own world, but it's about taking what we have and taking that lightness to the darkness because that's where it shines the brightest, I believe. Uh, that year, actually, after, after we were in Thailand that next summer, we've been to uh, a series of uh, years of working with this uh, specific tribe in Panama. Uh, they're called the Kunayala. They uh, are located in the San Blas Islands, which is a series of islands in the coast uh, in the Caribbean. There's 365 islands, uh, 49 of which are inhabited by this uh, people group. Uh, the, the Kuna Indians, they are autonomous, so the Panamanian government kind of leaves them alone, and they just run their own little world out there on these islands. And, you know, I'd been to a lot of kind of, you know, I've been to... Uh, primitive places. I've been to the Amazon. I've been to tribes and things like that. And so I kind of was expecting the same thing when I went here. But man, it's like, you know, Panama City is pretty modern and skyscrapers and it's, they do a lot of international trade because they've got the Panama Canal there. And so it's like, you're in Panama and it's one thing. And you take a 45 minute flight on this little plane and it's a little eight seater plane. And we land on this little strip and that plane leaves. And it's like, you felt like you didn't ride a plane. You felt like you were in a time machine, you know, and you just went back like a thousand years or something because it's one of the most, I mean, I've never been to a place like it where literally I didn't see a wheel when I was there, you know, no bikes, no, like no transportation like that at all. No land transportation. There's all these little islands and the Kunas, they get around from Island to Island and dug out canoes and they've just lived how they've lived for who knows how long there, you know? And, uh, when we, when we went on a pre-trip, Krista and I and a cameraman kind of to test everything out and get ready to promo the trip for the next year, uh, we were working with the local church there and kind of just learning about it. But we learned some things, you know, first off, you know, we found out that about 25 years before that, uh, up until then, their currency was coconuts, you know? So it's like, okay, wow, that's interesting. Uh, we also realized that, uh, 
that it was a fairly icy reception to us when we first got there, you know, like it was uh, just not super warm and friendly. They're only, they, had, they had contact with tourists, but a lot of it was through the, the cruise lines that would come through. And they learned quickly that, how to capitalize on that. So it's like, I remember our cameraman, we got off the plane and he's like, takes a picture, you know, and then this lady comes over and she's like, $1. And they wanted to charge a dollar, just a flat fee for every click. It was going to be a dollar. Um, and so we re- we've, it felt a little bit like, okay, we've got a breakthrough here, you know. Um, and the other thing that was interesting is that we found that in Kuna, in the local native language, they didn't have a word for love. And so it's like, okay, how do you express to a people group that God loves them when there's not even a word for love? And what we learned is that I think all of us can, can uh, draw from is that it's important that we speak louder than words, that it can't just be what we're saying. It also has to be what we're doing. How are we living? That it's not, the, it's not one or the other, but I think it has to be both. I think it has to be our words and it has to be what we do. It has to be that we demonstrate love. Uh, for us, it was like, okay, we've got to break through to these people and they've got to, I mean, the language gap was huge anyways, because there's very few people in the world that actually are bilingual to English and Kuna, because it's just not a big population. So you've got English, Spanish, Spanish, Kuna would be how the translation would normally go. I think we had one guy that did know both languages, English and Kuna. And so uh, as we began to think of how can we, how can we demonstrate love? How do we speak louder than words? We said, what are their needs? And one of their biggest needs was, was health care, uh, was the fact that they had a lot of their young babies that were sick and some of them even dying because of just lack of access to, to clean water, a lot, of, a lot of disease because of that. And so we worked with teams and we did two summers in a row. We brought fresh water uh, projects in there to the islands. And then we brought teams of doctors and nurses and we did medical clinics there. So while all that was going on for the adults, we had construction crews doing the water stuff. We had our medical professionals doing the clinics. Then our teams would just be there to be with the kids. And I know we talked about a fall festival up here in the announcements. If you've ever been to a church fall festival where there's all the different kind of games and things like that, we said, let's just do that there. Let's bring like a carnival to these islands, you know, because the reality is we could go to a Walmart toy aisle and grab things that most of these kids had never seen before in their lives. So it was kind of like in their world, like Disney World showed up, you know. So we just had, we'd section off this big section of the island and we had like 10 different booths and it's ring toss. And it was really like one of the, the, the picture of it was very uh, contrasting because it's like here we had like our, our sound box that's playing some kind of hip hop music. And we've got, uh, you know, these Panamanian ladies that are in their tribal gear just decked out and then they're bowling so they can win uh, prizes for their kids, you know. So it was this weird mesh of culture, but what we found is that it worked. That, I mean, any of you parents who have kids, you understand that when people love your kids, you kind of automatically love those that love your kids. And we worked there with the, the Kuna for three summers in a row. And where at the first it was the, hey, you took a picture, give me a dollar. By the end, the head chief of all the islands met with us and said, you have an open door to, this, to these islands. And they were so thankful and they were so grateful. They said, you know, there's been lots of groups that talked about bringing us water, uh, even governments. And they said, you're the first group that, when you told us that you were going to bring water, we didn't believe you. They said, because other people have told us that. But you're the first group that actually came and did what you 
said. And, you know, we, we put this whole thing at the water about, uh, about living water and about that there's a drink that you can drink from that's uh, the last for eternity and not just for a moment. And so, and, and we did a dedication and we talked to him about it. And we said, every time you get a, wa- a drink of water from here uh, and think of the, the purifying that it does for your body, know that there's one who has paid a price to purify all of us in our lives. And so that's uh, something that, that continues on there to this day. Uh, James two fourteen says this, it says, uh, what does it profit my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute, uh, of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And I think it's just a good reminder to us to let our, let our what is it, uh, put our money where our mouth is kind of thing. That would be the modern way that might be written, is that, you know, if we're saying something, let's also live that out. Uh, and kind of a final story and final thought today. We used to, with our internship, every year we would start off with a retreat. We'd take all our interns out of town and we'd do this thing called the Go Weekend, where they'd experience, they'd have all these different elements. Some of them were challenges, some of them were outreaches that would reflect different core values of the organization. And so for one year, um, our second year team, they would prepare it for the first. And one year we needed a challenge for love. And what were we going to do? And Krista and I had recently come from uh, spending our uh, anniversary in Kansas City for the weekend. And when we were there, we encountered the, the group out of Kansas that protests everything. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. If you've seen them on the news, they protest funeral, uh, you know, soldiers' funerals. They protest concerts. They protest a whole lot of things. And, and I, when I say protest, what I mean is they're usually holding signs that says why God hates whoever they're talking to, you know. And it's one thing to see it on TV, but it's another one. It's like live, and they're like right there, and they're just like telling you God hates you. It's just, you know, and made, made me mad uh, because of what we do, you know. It's like, hey, you know, that's the wrong message. Uh, but this year when we were going back there for this uh, intern retreat, we said, hey, we're going back to Kansas City, so what if we make a all, what if we counter that message? And instead of saying God hates you, what if we just tell people God loves you? And so we created what's called the Love Rally, which we've now done uh, for the past several years. And basically the concept was simple. It was most believers, most Christians would agree with the basic statement that God loves people. You know, it's pretty kind of Christianity 101, God loves people. Uh, what we find, though, is it only becomes con- that statement is only controversial when you start to define people, when you start to segment them out. And it might be religion. Maybe it's God loves Muslims. Uh, God loves Christians. We start, you know, we live in such a, a partisan uh, nation. We wanted to, we've got uh, pictures up there. God loves Obama. God loves Bush. God loves Republicans. God loves Democrats. Um, <laughs> God loves prostitutes. God loves homosexuals. See, it only becomes controversial when we start to uh, segment people out. And we wanted to just make the statement that, yes, I don't know if we'd have got any attention or people would have noticed if we just said God loves people. But when we held up the signs that said all these different groups of, hey, God loves these different groups, 
uh, we had a great reaction. I mean, we had people that were joining us. We went to a street corner there right by the plaza in Kansas City, if you've ever been there. And we did this whole thing. And, I mean, it went great. People were joining the, the, the protest, the love, I don't know what you call it, but uh, the love rally. And they're grabbing the signs. And, you know, it was really a positive uh, outreach. And so since then, we've done it several times. And actually this summer, uh, we we had planned to do it there in Ecuador during the World Cup because, you know, like the country shuts down. I mean, everybody goes and watches the game, and there was this huge field where they did it. And so we'd done that, went really well. And the next day, we were there planning for the Night of Refuge. We had rented out this restaurant uh, for the Night of Refuge for these girls. And we were getting ready for the event, and we found out that outside of this restaurant was a big city square. It's a big city uh, plaza there, and we found out that that day was the gay pride parade in Quito, and that they were ending, that parade was ending there in the square with the big festival and concert, and this is right outside of the restaurant, and someone on the team mentioned, hey, why don't we have, we have all our love rally stuff on the bus from yesterday at the soccer event, if anybody could use the message that God loves them, it might be this uh, community that has often been so hurt by the church. And what if we went out there and we did the love rally there? And so it's, by this time, the, the, the square is packed with people, you know. I mean, just, they've got this kind of festival going on. We said, yeah, let's do it. And so we grabbed our signs, and not exactly knowing what kind of reaction we would get, um, but we grabbed our signs and kind of held them down until we got out to the center, and then we all held the signs up, and it just said, love and God loves people, and God loves homosexuals was the signs that we had out there. And instantly, I mean, when we put those signs up, it was just like media and radio, and I mean, it was like paparazzi just taking pictures. And then everybody, a lot of the people that were there started taking pictures with the signs and with these signs that said, God loves you. And they were very receptive. It was very, uh, they welcomed us. And when, in fact, when we left and had to go back to the Night of Refuge event, they uh, mentioned us from stage and said, thank you to our love group. Can we give them a, you know, applause or whatever? And it was great. We walked off. Uh, but there was a man who came running after us. And he came and he grabbed me and said, I need to talk to somebody. And I was like, yeah, what's going on? He's like, I need to talk to a pastor. I was like, okay, well, we're getting ready. You know, I'm, I'm thinking we're getting ready to do this event. Let's get your information. We'll put you in contact with a pastor this week. He's like, no, I need to talk to a pastor now. And so one of the guys who works with us, he's a pastor. And I said, okay. So we got him and he started talking. And they, they talked for about two hours. And he said, I need to talk. He said, because uh, I, if this is true, I can't believe it. He said, because I have thought and I have been taught that God hates me. He said, so the message that God might love me, I can't believe. And he just, it was, it was just literally shocking to him. Just from holding up a sign for 15 minutes, you know. And... and I think for us as believers, wouldn't we all agree that no matter who, no matter where anybody is in life, wouldn't we hope that they would be able to turn to God when they needed him? Wouldn't we hope that they would be able to, I mean, we've all been through rough times in our life and we've been able to turn to him. And so wouldn't we hope that anybody would be able to do that same thing? But it's very hard to turn to somebody that you think hates you. And we need to be mindful that when we, uh, that we don't just represent ourselves, we oftentimes represent God. And the things that we say might be changing the perception of, uh, of who God is to people. So what we've learned from that, that I think all of us can take uh, with us, is that we need to love, not judge. That that's, that's what will 
truly show light and shine light in people's life is when we love them and not judge them. Romans 5, 8, and I'll close with this. It says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for today. Father, I thank you for those that are around us, those that we wish knew you, Father, those that are uh, our friends and family. Father, show us how we can be light in their world and also show us how we can be light in the darkness. Lord, I thank you for ideas. Father, I thank you for passion to stir up on the inside of each one that's here, that, Father, we truly would not just know that uh, truth in our mind or in our heart, but that we would live it with our lives, that our lives would truly be light in the dark. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.